Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I hope you're having some summertime fun. If you are listening to this while floating on an inner tube in the middle of a beautiful alpine lake, you are doing it right. And you now know about my favorite vacation activity. I've also got some exciting news. I'm going to be launching another podcast that is relevant to this audience in the next couple of weeks. I will be sure to let you know when that happens, certainly by the time the next episode of LSMR comes out. But I've got a great episode for you today. Let's jump into it. Andrew Hanley is a partner at RevMade, a digital agency. His work has been featured at South by Southwest, Content Marketing World, and Ad Age. And today we're going back to my favorite topic. We haven't been here in a while, and that is content strategy. Andrew, welcome. Chris, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be on. Now is the appropriate time to say long-time listener, first-time caller, that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cool. So um, this is going to be fun. Um, like uh, we were just talking, we think about things similarly, but you have some great case studies and uh, I think a pretty straightforward way to think about this that's going to be helpful for a lot of people. So let's start by talking about some of the challenges brands face around content marketing, of which there are many, but when, when you're working with clients, what obstacles do you see that are holding them back in their content marketing. Yeah, I think a lot of brands have received the memo that says, you know, content marketing is this new currency in advertising. Some might say it's an old currency in advertising, but it's, it's, you know, some might say that content marketing, Chris, I, I stumbled right out the gate. I apologize. You said you just keep going like a word document. Then I thought I started the, the word document <laughs> question again. Can we, so I promise, I promise I have a smart answer to this. So you, should I, for your, oh man, now I'm doing it again. For your editing, should I just, do you want to ask the question again? Or I promise I won't do this again. I, I promise. No worries. Don't, don't even worry about it. So I'm just going to start. I'm going to, I'm not going to give that whole little preface on that thing, but I'm going to say, what are some of the obstacles you see clients facing that hold them back? Yeah. So a lot of brands are getting really smart and realizing that the currency of advertising is changing in, in, in their in their space, whether they're a B2C marketer or they're a B2B marketer, they're realizing that in all spaces, consumers, people, us, <laughs> you and I are totally empowered to, you know, tune brands, tune advertising, tune interruptive messaging out of our lives. Uh, we've got the technology and we've kind of got the mental burnout that is leading us to really change the relationship, the dynamic of the relationship we have between ourselves and the brands that want to vie for our attention and for our loyalty and for our money and everything like that. So smart brands are realizing that this currency of advertising has changed. And what they're doing is they're investing in editorial or content as an alternative or an additive to the advertising that they're doing to the audience that they're trying to reach. And so while a lot of brands say, okay, great, I get it. The currency has changed. I should produce content. I should produce articles instead of advertising. They feel like that's a complete sentence. And what they don't realize is it's a commitment 
all the way through to change the way you think about how you're going to communicate with, with the audience that you're trying to sell to. So a lot of brands are saying, hey, I can do content. I can put out a blog. I can put out articles. I can put out all sorts of different, quote unquote, content. But that doesn't, that's not the necessary, that's not going to bridge the gap between being irrelevant and relevant with your, with your customer. Because a lot of that content that they're producing is really just thinly veiled marketing. It's taking an ad message or ad copy and turn it into a 500 word blog post, making it look like content, but not read or feel or connect with people like content. So I guess I would say a lot of people are, a lot of brands are saying, we realize the currency is changing, but they're not investing enough. They're not actually building true value in the content or the editorial that they're producing. They just think it means, oh, produce blog posts as opposed to banner ads. And, and that actually totally belittles the sea change that's happening, which is consumers are saying, I don't have time. I don't have interest. You've got to earn your way into my life now. What are you going to do about that? And uh, so the demands are higher and smart brands are not just saying, hey, we need to produce content, but we need to produce content that has editorial value that would make someone want to pay attention to this, stop what they're doing um, and pay attention to this. So I guess the, the lesson is brands are kind of, they're producing content marketing, but it's, a, it, it's either too much marketing, not enough content, or too much content and not, not enough marketing. So very few are striking the balance between um, providing value for your audience that will then translate into value for your brand. Yeah, I like that, how you talk about balance, because it, it does need to be, there does need to be a level of marketing in there, but also just, as you say, taking your advertising messaging and stretching it out to 500 words, that's not the kind of thing people are looking to read um, or listen to or in, or view on a video, for example. So, um <clears throat> So for these brands, one challenge that I've talked about before on this podcast is just figuring out um, for a lot of them. And they say, well, what content should we make if it's not, you know, talking about our product or just, you know, going into more detail than we can do in an advertisement? What do we need to make and, and how do we think about that in the big picture so that we're not just um, creating a lot of different pieces of content that are all unconnected in any way? So you have a nice, simple way to think about that. Describe how you um, talk about this for your clients, for our listeners. Yeah, I think that it's really about identifying a moment of truth that your audience member is going through and then developing um, developing a strategy for creating value or relevance at that moment of truth. So if you think about boiling down um, your audience's life into moments of, of opportunity where they something triggers in their life and they might be, um, you know, uh, I, think, I think it's really about brands understanding where their opportunity is in their consumers' lives to add value. And one of the ones that I go to uh, more often than not, and, and a lot of times I spark the conversation with brands who are looking to get into content marketing is think about your, your FAQs or your frequently asked questions. Think about what your sales force is, is getting um, from, from their potential buyers in the field. What are the use cases that your product has? What are some of the success stories that your um, you know, product has, has brought to the teams that you sell to? And I, th I really think that content marketing is about publishing the, the smarts and the insights and the folklore and the way a company thinks 
into something that a potential audience member can consume. Uh, and it's really just an extension of their expertise. So whenever I think about, you know, brands that are trying to be relevant to the audiences that they serve, think about a pain point or a moment that a problem needs to be solved in your audience's life. Put yourself in their shoes and think about what that solution might be. And a lot of times it's education or it's a case study or it's an example of how a peer has solved a similar problem to them. Uh, and, and, it and it explains that. And I think that, um, you know, the idea of, of, of finding those moments and realizing where can you be the solution to the pain point, to the problem that, that a customer is trying to solve, that's where you can find your, your opportunity for relevance as a content marketer. Yeah. So I love the FAQs. I mean, that's kind of the forgotten content gem and it's a great place to start because in my mind, and we've talked about this before, but I don't want to focus on, you know, my old approach, which is, but everything, everything that a customer is looking for is a question in their mind. Like who solves this problem? That's the, at the top level, like, or, or what are other people doing in this industry that I need to know about? So for awareness, it's those kinds of questions. And then it's um, beyond that, like, how does this solution compare to that solution? And then what makes this solution so great? And then you get all the way down the funnel. Now you have sort of a cool matrix where you break out, I guess you would call it the funnel into a couple different levels. And then there's a couple different, and then across the top, you present sorts of questions that people have that go from, little questions that you know aren't urgent but they keep coming up over and over to the extreme questions where like i need to do something about this right now and you have a way of mapping content to every one of those uh boxes in the matrix talk about that a little bit yeah so one of the things that we do to kind of organize our approach to to content marketing is to really to map out in a consumer's life what are the different types of reasons why they might interact with a brand? What are the moments in their lives and what do those moments have in common so that, uh, so that you can actually organize your marketing approach around them? So to give you an example, uh, we, we recently worked with a consumer health company um, and they wanted to compete for people's attention as it pertains to managing their health and wellness. And as you can imagine, it's a really, really crowded space and there's the WebMDs of the world dominating search. Um, there's, there's some players that are really well entrenched in that space. And so this brand was saying, okay, if there's so many voices and so much content in this space already, does it really make sense to do content marketing? And we thought, this is a good question. Let's investigate it. Let's see if there's an opportunity to do something different that, that others aren't doing in this space. And what we ended up doing was looking at things like search trends. So Chris, to your point, like what are the things that people are literally Googling at four in the morning? Uh, that's the greatest window into people's soul is actually what they're searching for. Uh, and they tell Google things they wouldn't tell their, their spouse, their loved one, their doctor. Um, so let's look at that search data. Um, let's look at, you know, let's look at, um, health data. What are the kind of life stage changes? What are the moments that happen in people's lives as they get older? So let's look at, it doesn't always have to be digital data. Some of it can just be institutional data. Like what do we know about our customer and what are sort of the, the routines or the problems that they run into over the course of their lives on average? You know, what are, you know, what's being said in the water cooler uh, to, uh, that these people, that our audience uh, spends time in? You know, what is kind of like the news of the day that, that, they're, that they're talking about that's kind of um, filling their Twitter feeds and their conversations? And then, and then, ult and then ultimately, um, you know, 
what are the kinds of moments that change their lives forever? Uh, and what does that do? What, 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 you know, what are the extremes that could happen to them that could absolutely change their lives overnight? And so what we do is we kind of build this matrix that has across the top, the different moment or the different, um, opportunity in someone's life. So what I just went through is like sort of the shugs, the net shoulds, the nagging feelings in the back of your head, you know, um, routines, the scheduled things that you know are going to happen in your life, obsessions, the the water cooler conversation that everybody seems to be talking about, and the extremes, the life-changing diagnoses that that completely upend your way of doing things. And what we did for each of those types of moments was we identified the trigger that could spur that moment, and we developed a, a content series that would actually meet people in those moments. Uh, and and address those those concerns that they had, and ultimately drive an outcome toward um, a next step with the brand that that we were producing. So, the idea was creating a practical chart where we could say, what are the different use cases? What are the different jobs our content could solve? If our content marketing um, was was a solution and, and solved a job for for people, what would that job be, and and, and what would it look like, and, and then why would that lead them to a next step with us? So ultimately, this this idea of a chart of moments where it's like, identify the triggers in people's lives that would lead them to, um, you know, a Google search or a, you know, a lead gen form being filled out or a question being asked, then create content that adds value or solves a problem for those moments, and then offer a next step that brings them closer to your brand, whether that's, hey, subscribe and get more of our insights as we solve more problems like the one we just solved for you, or hey, learn more about what our products, you know, might do for you through this product demo, or maybe it's, you know, you know, reach, hear from a salesperson who can talk a little bit about, um, you know, how, how this, how this could, you know, be a solution for you as well. So I know I'm talking abstract a little bit, but the idea is really to organize what are the triggers that get people to think about your category? Uh, what's the content that's going to get them to think about you within their category? And then what is the next step that naturally leads from the content to a further engagement with your brand so that content can turn into marketing? So I think it's those things coming together is, is how brands should really you know, plan their approach into creating content. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to understand. Um, you know, there are things that make people think or make them aware that, okay, I've got a problem, whether it's big or little, I need to do something. You have content that they're going to uncover in that moment because they're Googling at four in the morning or they just got this diagnosis. And then you think about, all right, what can we give them that's going to educate them, give them what they need at that time. And, and at the same time or subsequently say, all right, what would we like to have them do moving towards an engagement with our solution? So, um, and you you gave a, you know, great example of, you know, a consumer healthcare company. We can easily translate that to uh, a B2B company for a scientist. I mean, they have little problems in the lab every day and then sometimes, you know, they're getting a career change or they've lost their job or they need to buy an entirely new expensive instrument and it all works out in the same way. So let's talk about not being overwhelmed. So if you look at the matrix and I'm going to, I'm going to link to your blog post on this um, so people can see this matrix. Cause I think once they see it, they're going to go, Oh yeah, that makes sense. I got it. And, but when you look at that, 
um, you know, there's 12 different sort of boxes in this matrix. And then they might go, oh, gosh, that looks like I have to make a lot of content, particularly if I have more than one kind of customer, right? So what do you do to help your clients keep from being overwhelmed in the process of building out their content? You know, I'm really glad you asked that, Chris, because the matrix is the matrix is designed and any company can do this whether your marketing department's two people or or 200 it's really about a practical exercise to build a consensus on okay we looked at these data sources and we've identified the different opportunities our brand has to be relevant some of them are are little like hey we know that people you know, are, are, you know, really into this one pop culture phenomenon. And we can kind of, we can do like, say your chemists are interested in game of Thrones. And then on Monday we can do some sort of fun, like pop culture post, like seven things your labs can learn from game of Thrones. Okay. That was kind of yesterday's strategy, right? So um, maybe we won't do something like that, but to your other point, Hey, there's another moment of, of relevance uh, that, that our target audience, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're opening a new lab, you know, maybe they're doing one of those big career, you know, moments, where they've got funding, the grant has gotten approval, they've got partners, they're, they're, they're having this career-changing moment, they have a ton of different decisions to make. So really the idea is like having this, you know, consult search data, consult social data, consult your, your FAQs, consult like what your customers are asking you, and map out for your team kind of like what are those clusters of, of activity or those clusters of, um, of, of, of moments that we can kind of cobble together, then I think it's, it's looking at them and, and letting them be different from each other and then weighing in, where do we feel like we can have the most impact? Where is there the least amount of competition? And where do we have the most brand permission to create something? And ultimately, where do we think that we can make the most difference? If we were to just be the best we could be at one of those moments. If we could double down on piloting the concept around, really focusing on one of those moments, what would that editorial product look like? How would we create it? How would we distribute it? And how would we learn from that distribution so that we can so that we can get smarter? So I guess the actual question is, don't think that the moments chart or this matrix is your to-do list of every place that you've got to be. It's really a practical you know, conversation starter for your marketing strategy team to say, hey, listen, we really think that we can make a difference in educating scientists about new technologies that are emerging. So we're going to create an editorial series called Emergent Tech. And, you know, once a week, we're going to we're going to focus on one piece and we're going to make that our signature thing. And it's designed to be relevant to people who are researching new technology for their companies, just as a, as a terrible example. So for me, it's about, yeah, the moment you can map your moments and see, OK, where can we be relevant? But the smartest brands are really focusing on one of those moments, one opportunity at a time and piloting out something truly special. So I would say don't be overwhelmed by all that you can do, but have the conversation of what's the most right for 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 your brand, for your business and for your audience. And that's where it's kind of fun. And it's thinking about like, what would a Netflix documentary look like if it focused on our space? What would a, an advice column look like if it focused on our space? What would a call-in radio show look like if it focused on our space? And I feel like it's those things coming together where the creative magic really happens. People, like the reason that content marketing is working is because, is the reason publishing worked for so long. You know, publishers, uh, especially pre-internet, had all this great information and insight and humor about, you know, certain niches. And they published that and, and people loved it and they subscribed or they got it at the newsstand. And advertisers, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but advertisers would say, great, I want adjacency to that content. I want to put my ad next to that editorial so that I can, I can be seen with it. And because the economic model kind of fell out from beneath that, brands are saying now smartly in 2019, 
you know, what if we just kind of created that great editorial that publications used to, and instead of, you know, being one of many advertisers in it, who's ad is only alive during the lifespan of that particular magazine issue, what if we just invested in creating what's in the editorial well ourselves? Sure, we don't have to create a full-blown magazine, but what if we did one of the departments extremely, extremely well? Oh, and now here's the internet. Let's post it to you know our blog. Let's create a YouTube series out of it. Let's create an email series out of it. So the idea is creating the the taking the best from what made publishing so special, which is these these content or editorial franchises, and then saying as a brand, hey, we think that we've got the expertise to really do that type of thing justice. And we think it makes sense because our customers pain point around XYZ is really evident. And if we created a YouTube series that solved pain points along XYZ, that might actually be a great way to get people's attention, build their trust and get them to think about doing business with our brand. So it's there's no like, you know, uh, you know, ready-made, you know, to-do list for brands trying to get into content marketing. But I think it's thinking about what are your audience pain points? What have great publishers in your space done that have gotten their attention over the year? What does your brand really have the unique permission to, to, to weigh in on? And then can you build an editorial product that brings all of those things together and builds kind of a line from your audience to, you know, your brand it's not always a straight line, of course, but we found that creating these editorial products or these, these, you know, these moment-based, you know, content series really serves as a magnet and an incubator for prospecting and engaging customers. Um, it's not be-all, end-all. It doesn't replace advertising, and we're not talking about creating a media empire, but it's creating, you know, editorial quality content series that your audience would naturally want to pay attention to that shows your brand in its best light possible. Yeah. So, um, so many good things. So (laughs) no. So first of all, this is why you were so much smarter than I am. Cause when I used to look at a matrix like this, honestly, I mean, I'm working with clients and I'm thinking what needs to go in every box? Like what would work there? This is so much, it makes so much more sense to pick out the one moment where people were having a, a serious problem and I don't mean that in the sense of the nagging problem to the life changing problem, but I mean, it's, it's frequent and it's a big opportunity for your company. And then think what, as you say, what would a call in radio show look like or a magazine look like on that one item? And then, then the fun begins like to say, can we publish something on a regular basis that just fills that niche? And then, and that's a just a huge branding opportunity. I mean, honestly, that's what this podcast is. I mean, um, so I used to have a blog and I used to use social. I still now use social, but not in the way I used to. And it's been fun just because now I get to talk to smart people like you every other week. And that's my channel. So and it definitely does create more engagement and you get better and better at it because you're focusing on that one thing. So it just yeah. It always gets better, and yet you have this huge archive of content for people who choose to engage with you. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Sometimes it's it's about thinking really small and focused. Actually, um, I just read in the uh, the Axios um, Media Trends newsletter, which is a really great one. Sarah Fisher puts out uh, once a week or once once a day. <laughs> I guess I'm not that habitual of a reader, but when I see it, I love it. And a couple of links, uh, Chris, I'll share them with you after this, okay. but a couple of links were about how publishers were experimenting, creating less stuff and seeing revenue and readership go up. 
Uh, so I think you're going to see the pendulum swing back to if five years ago it was about, you know, let's let's have voluminous publishing so that we can touch every possible touch point with the customer. Now it's about it's it's like kind of taking a deep breath in and saying, you know, what can we do that's really focused and can really matter? And I think for a lot of reasons, uh, you're seeing serialized, repeatable franchises, you know, like your podcast, like Click and Clack, you know, the, the Car Talk show, like the Susie Orman show, like the Dave Ramsey show, you know, uh, you're seeing that because they're seared in people's brains better. It's more memorable to have a repeatable, um, you know, a repeatable format so you can build some expectancy there. They help with strategic planning. You're a lot more focused because you have more of a format that you're mapping to. Um, and and it's, it's, it's more cost effective from, from a, a marketing efficiency and effectiveness standpoint. Um, so I think there's a lot of reasons that you're going to see like these mini series and these, these, you know, uh, major magazines and, and documentary uh, video, you're going to see more publishing and media like producing uh, production coming out of brands because they're just kind of playing to audience, what audiences are telling them, which is, I don't care if you're a publisher or a brand or an influencer, if you have something that I'm interested in that provides me entertainment or education, um, I'm going to pay attention and that's who's winning. And so it's just smart for brands to at least experiment in this kind of stuff. Um, and it could be as easy as an advice column. You know, your customers are already asking you questions, uh, and and you're probably providing them answers. And maybe those are evaporating, um, you know, in a sales call. Maybe they're just going into an email. But what about publishing those and, and making a compendium out of them? And that's that's a basic idea. Uh, but I think you'll see a lot of invention, you know, within that space too. Brands have the budgets and they have the expertise. Why not create something that their audiences love? Um, so yeah, I think I think you're going to see more and more of that. At least I hope so. Yeah, me too. Um, so you mentioned, and, and maybe we've sort of covered this, but um, this is a bit of an experiment. So when you're getting started, you know, you're trying a couple different things out, perhaps, or you try one thing out. Um, so how do you evolve your plan and keep improving on it? But also, how do you decide, like, okay, or when do you decide this is working or not, or maybe we should tweak it a little bit? Um, Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so a lot of times we're working with um, brands that have been advertising a while. So it's it's fairly easy to peel off a chunk of an existing marketing budget and say, this is going to go to a Skunk Works or pilot project, and we're going to test the response of this content versus the response of the advertising that we're doing right now. So a lot of times, just based on if you if you already got campaigns in 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 uh, in market, it makes sense to just kind of peel budget and time and attention away from that and test the response rate. So a good example would be if you're doing Facebook advertising, and right now it's about you know um, getting people to demo um, you know a virtual you know experience of your product or something like that. Um, you know maybe there's there's ad creative that is pressing hard for people to do that or maybe it's it's promoting an event you're coming up to then maybe you test an ad unit that is within that that facebook flight that is uh, a link to your how-to or your your expert q a series and see what you can learn maybe you find out that like uh you know you're not going to get a lot of pickup uh, on an editorial q a series and your traditional advertising is is outperforming it fantastic you know that's a great thing to learn or maybe it's it's um you know you you want to test a different type of, of editorial approach but i would say you know start by comparing to your current return what's so funny that happens and i don't know why this happens maybe because it's new is that the new thing gets scrutinized way more than the old thing so you could be putting out a you know 
a, a PR strategy that you've been doing for 30 years and the, the head of PR has never been asked, like, well, what's the return on this? Um, but you got a content marketing, you know, blog that's going up last year and it's like, hey, why are we investing in this stuff? Um, so it's like the stuff that's been around, like nobody's saying, you know, hey, why do we invest in all these telephones and computers? It's like obvious that it's not a direct ROI, but it's an essential piece to like being successful. So it's just weird to me how I see it so much, you know, content marketing programs being scrutinized while traditional advertising spend are fine to just look at huge impression numbers and feel like, hey, that must have moved the needle, right? So anyway, that's a definite rant, but it happens. So I would say compare it to what your traditional advertising is bringing you. And if you say, oh, my traditional advertising is not measured, then we can say, well, at least this content effort is. So that's an improvement. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, the first metric is we can you measure it? Yeah, yeah, and I think like I also think that people spend too much time um, looking for academic answers when practical ones will do. Um, like we're all smart people, and and I've seen smart people sit around tables and wait for like a dashboard report to tell them exactly what to do. And sometimes it is saying, well, this is sloppy and this is messy, but this is telling us that, this is telling us something else, and this is telling us one other thing. Based on that, guys, here's my hypothesis of what we should do. Should we give that a go? For whatever reason, people don't want to just kind of do that. It's, it's like we're waiting for this big data revelation. And what you realize is that people are acting off smaller pieces of data. Like the people that are really moving forward in a space are experimenting quickly and learning and just chalking that up to how their marketing is going to go. They're not worried about getting it right and making it look polished on a spreadsheet and then predicting a year in advance what the budget's going to look like. Their plan is actually, here's our test and learn plan and here's how we're going to roll it out on an ongoing basis. Here's what we're looking for. Here's how we're going to measure ourselves. Here's how we're holding ourselves accountable. So I feel like even internally, like managing up, flipping the script from, hey, here here's why it worked into, hey, here's how we're solving problems is a great way to change the conversation and even internally to say, listen, guys, look around. It's an experimental world. So what's our, what's our experiment strategy? What, you know, what are we, you know what I'm saying? Because otherwise there's this temptation to say, we're not going to get our hands dirty. We're going to stay buttoned up for years and years. And then that's where the, the rug really comes out from under your feet whenever you're caught off guard, you know, five years from now and you don't have an email list, um, you know, as a, as, as a for instance. Man, you were asking yeah. about like how to get things through and I ranted again. So probably not exactly how I just said it, but it's it's interesting to see like the scrutiny going on of these programs and then the fear people have about about not just owning the fact that, hey, we're trying something new. We're seeing like, for instance, we'll try something new in some markets and we'll get a lot of interest from high level people via email. And it's like, hey, look, a hundred people responded to this. That's that's not a lot of people. And we're like, hey, these are all VP level and above, especially in the B2B space. It's like, doesn't that tell us that these VPs, they get a thousand emails a day and they opened this one and they read this one and they clicked on this one. So I think like, don't, don't undersell small data either. Um, and don't be afraid to use your intuition. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, uh, numbers don't tell the whole story i mean there's you got to wait something like that that goes to a vp who opened your email a lot heavier than you know the thousands of people that click through on some other clickbaity blog post you had right I, so, i'll give you a great example it's like we were looking at performance um the other day with the, with a b2b marketing company and we were trying to evaluate what was effective from a content marketing standpoint and one of the marketing directors um, came out with you know, a list of the top performing articles and everyone was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe that one got 27,000 page views and like, wow, like, you know, 1400 people came in through this link and everyone's celebrating, 
you know, these, these were huge traffic drivers, these, these pieces. And then, then, you know, the brainstorm naturally happens. How can we do more like that? And then what we actually saw was, listen, those got the most page views, but actually this other set within that content series got more people to sign up to get a, um, to get a demo. And so it's, then the trade-off becomes, okay, so some, some, uh, content is getting us more engagement and visibility, but some is actually driving more interaction with our, our economic levers. So then whenever we say what's our best content or our top performing content, let's not trot out that top page view generator. That's one piece of the data puzzle, but the other data piece, or the other puzzle piece is what's actually converting. And you really need to go back to that word balance again. And it's like, it's amazing how in marketing, we're so in love with the big number that we forget to or don't want to look at the little numbers that are more meaningful. So going back to the PR example, I remember seeing a report from a head of PR saying, we got $4 billion worth of earned media by getting placed in all of these different publications. And everyone's like, oh my God, $4 billion. Like that's amazing, that's incredible. (laughs) Then the question was kind of asked, well, what did the $4 billion of value get us? And it was just kind of like everybody laughed because obviously we didn't feel like we got $4 billion worth of exposure. It's right, so it's just kind of like, hey, what are we really celebrating here? And the tallest numbers are are cool, but they're actually they can actually be very very distracting. And I think a lot of times marketers, you know, really follow um, you know consumer or newsstand trends, and they say, you know, we need to get millions of visitors, or you know, and it's really not an audience of a million; it's about a million audiences of one. Like, what can you do? Especially in B two B, I don't know why so many B two B marketers are reading, you know, you know, Digiday and thinking it apply. You know, B two C trends apply to B two B. The principles apply, but the benchmarks don't, and the goals don't, and it's it's a totally different world. So, I think especially with B two B marketers, start small, start very focused, and really focus on your best customer and people like him or her, and build from there. Versus, how are we going to get a hundred million page views? Um, start really small and focusing on one problem with the content series and with the person that you're building that content series for, and then roll up from there. And along the way, you can show small evidence of this working compared to traditional activities and hopefully get more buy-in as, as you build it up. And then, you know, if you, you know, you look at like the people who are super influential online today, 10 years ago, they were usually just humble bloggers, right? And they've, a lot of them have built these empires. And I feel like you do that just by starting by doing one small thing very, very well. Yeah. So I've seen a bunch of um, people on the podcast or who listen to this podcast know I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos for another project I'm doing. But I'll, And so I, I've kind of seen, and then I go back to their old stuff and you go, wow, these guys are superstars now. But if you go back to their early content, you're going, well, they were still just learning. So I have two takeaways there. So one is um, the good news is when you're starting out and you're not good at it, nobody's looking. But, but you got to start, you know, and then you get it going and you get better and better. And then you're good enough that if they look back at your old stuff, they don't care anymore because you're delivering good value now. And on top of that, I'll just tell you from my own experience to not focus on any one blog post or any one podcast or any one piece of content too much because that whole series in total has value on its own that isn't necessarily measured in the same way. And I mean, I'll just tell you my experience. Sometimes I have people on this podcast and I go, this is going to be the one. Right? <laughs> and usually they're not. And then you have other people you go, well, that was okay. And it goes through the roof and you go, well, 
you know, so you don't really know until you've done a lot of them, which ones really work. And honestly, I think they all have value. They're just valuable to different people and different size audiences or whatever. So I think that's that's some value to the editorial strategies. You just keep going and you have to look at it as one big ongoing learning project and uh, customer accumulation machine. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the mentality that, um, or the, the shift that people need to have in a mentality to, to really get this, which is like, doesn't it feel like sometimes, especially whenever there's a new content marketing initiative that launches and then, you know, some naysayers might look at like post number three and be like, see, this is not working. It's, it's no, it's no good. And it's like, no, give it time. And like you just said, Chris, it's like, maybe you've got a post or a piece that has only been viewed 10 times, but those 10 people were the people that really needed to hear that or to read that. And they ended up, you know, taking actions that, you know, that, that showed that your plan was effective. Then you've got other ones that seems really, really popular. Uh, but, but maybe they serve a different purpose for what your content strategy is doing. Then only after, you know, looking at patterns after you've produced a lot of this, then you can start to see what they have in common. And that's where some really interesting insight comes out of where you can say like, wow, you know, a year ago I was this broad and now I realize I've actually got to focus even more. Um, or I've got to actually expand that much more. So I think it's, it is about, you know, developing a hypothesis of if I produce this type of thing in these type of channels for these types of people, I can expect these types of actions. And, 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 and it's, it is about that, but it's also about committing to the habit of doing it over and over again, at least for, you know, a six month or a 12 month period to give yourself enough chance to, to get an audience engagement, to get that data, to see what's working and what's not. Um, and that's where the value can really start to happen. And then even from a practical standpoint, as you know, if you're producing and publishing content for the internet, then it's like, great, now can we start to build long tail search traffic against our archive of material? Our new stuff is great for social. Our, our, our older stuff is better for search. And then in the middle, I can send an email list to promote it both um, you know, or to promote the content as well. So I do think it is, it's really about thinking of this is my apparatus for how I want to build a community around my product and my brand. Um, and I do think it is that mental shift that you described. I think that's, and that's why some brands still aren't doing this. And that's why some brands have really great people that want to do this, that are getting crushed by their C-suite. And that's why you have some brands that are just crushing it because they believe in it and they're invested whole hog and they're, they're doing it right. Um, but it is, it is a mentality shift. But if you look at your own consumer behavior, it's like this, this is happening. I mean, we all still respond to advertising, um, but the relationship that we have with brands and the way that we make purchases has changed in the past 10, 15 years. Um, and I think smart brands are realizing the path to purchase a lot of times is paved by content. Oh, yeah, because people now when they have a problem, they go looking for something and they're not looking for an ad. They're looking for an answer. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So Andrew Hanley, this has been super fun. I love your approach to content marketing and all your perspectives on it. And I think it's really smart in terms of whole editorial. And I love that. Um, what's our experiment strategy? I'm going to put that in the show notes. I'm going to put a link to your, um, mapping content marketing to opportunities um, blog post in the show notes. And then you're going to send me a couple of other notes on something. Yeah. I mentioned those, they will the, uh, be in the show notes from, from the Axios newsletter. I'll, I'll dig yes. up those links. Less is more. Awesome. 
And then, um, yeah, this has been great. Thanks to you so much. I'm glad we finally connected. We met a year ago in uh, Boston, and here we are. No, hey, I, I, um, I hope that it's not another year before we're doing something like this again, by the way. Uh, yeah. I wish well, I could be anytime. out in San Diego uh, or out in California even um, soon. Got the baby on the way, but I'm hoping that our paths cross and maybe uh, maybe you'll see me on Twitter because I feel like I'm going to have to tweet out. They're not looking for an ad. They're looking for an answer and, and attribute that to you. I love that quote. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you so much. No, Chris, it's my pleasure. And thanks for having me on. Thanks for your patience uh, in all fronts. And thanks for letting me exceed my word limit by at least 10,000. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it. It was worth it. All right, brother. Hey, man, I really appreciate it. Um, thanks so much for letting me be part of this. You bet. All right. I love this kind of thinking. And you can't hear this stuff too often because I think about this content marketing a lot and I'm still learning better ways to do it. And you just have to hear it over and over sometimes to finally get like, oh, I see how this can work and come up with a plan that really works for what you're trying to do. This editorial approach focusing on a single part of the customer journey and then repurposing that content to multiple channels is probably easier more interesting for both you and the customer, honestly, and probably the most effective. Make sure you check out the link to Andrew's blog post in the show notes. It's under the RevMade link. And then tell your friends about it. I will talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye.